Our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we, um, as we encounter your word, as we encounter a passage that reveals um, so much to us about you, your nature, and, and how we're to live as your people. Help us to, to come uh, to a passage that um, yeah, is probably for many of us uh, very familiar but help us to come with fresh eyes and, and ears ready to see and hear what you would have to say to us this morning, the way that you would um, teach us and encourage us uh, and challenge us and uh, remind us uh, of your gospel this morning. And it's the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So you might remember uh, from previous sermons that we've gone through in Deuteronomy, uh, this is uh, God's people are standing on the edge of the promised land, about to finally go in to receive um, all that God has promised them, and they've been reminded of this continually. And Moses is taking this opportunity to, to give them his last words, a last reminder of who the Lord is and all that he has done for them, a last call to listen to the Lord and obey all that he has commanded. He sets out before them um, throughout Deuteronomy the blessings if they obey and the curses uh, if they don't. He's showing them the path that they should take, what it looks like to live as God's people uh, in relationship with him. And what we'll see is that these commandments, um, they're, not, they're not arbitrary, they're not, uh, um, yeah, they're not arbitrary. God is setting before them a way that is safe and good through the dark uh, and often confusing roads of life. He's setting before them a way of life, a way to live as his people. Uh, and that's the loving life with the living God. Uh, this way of life is good precisely because it reflects God's very nature. Um, and by implication, it reflects something of those made in his image and the way uh, that we're to live as his creation and as his people. We've seen um, over, our, over our previous uh, sermons into, into Deuteronomy that we've, uh, yeah, we've heard of the story of the unfaithful people um, and their faithful God. We've heard Moses calling the people to listen to God, uh, the one who is not seen but who spoke to them out of the blazing fire, one who should be obeyed. And that was Moses' first uh, speech and now this week Moses starts into his um, second speech. He's been very clear, hasn't he, about uh, all that God has done for, uh, for his people, uh, the amazing wonders of his salvation, the way that he has rescued them um, out of Egypt and remained faithful to them in the midst of their unfaithfulness. So in this, in this second speech, he's showing them the path of life that God is laying out before them uh, as his people, and he's calling them to obey, to listen up and to live. We see it in verse 1 there in chapter 5. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Moses is showing them the road. He's telling God's people that living as God's people in relationship with God means hearing and doing what he says, and that's for our good. And so this morning, we'd better listen up as well, because this isn't just for Israel, this is for us too. This is going to show us what our God is like. 
This also lays the foundation for uh, much of the Old Testament. It points us to Christ and shows us what it looks looks like to live in relationship with Him. Because for us too, living as God's people means hearing and doing what he says for our good, because he, he is good, he is perfect, he is holy, and he is faithful. Moses uh, begins his speech with the covenant God made with his people, uh, which includes the Ten Commandments. Uh, you might remember that th- this has been uh, previously communicated to them in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 20, um, and he's reminding of of reminding them of those commandments here in Deuteronomy. He's reminding them of the heart of what it looks like for God's people to live in relationship with him. But as we've seen throughout the whole context of the book and as we see in this passage here, this doesn't actually start with what the people do. Um, It starts with living from what the Lord has done. And we're going to jump right in at the start of chapter 5 there, um, verses 1 to 6. So first, the Lord has made a covenant with his people, in verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, uh, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. God has bound himself in relationship with his people. After he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, waging war against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods with Uh, the ten mighty plagues, he met with them at Mount Sinai and he entered into a covenant with them. Uh, A covenant is more than a contract. A covenant is a solemn and sacred relationship. It's making official God's relationship with his people. And they were pretty uh, pretty common in the ancient world. Both parties uh, made promises to one another and they sealed it with blood and sacrifice. And the striking thing is that that's what God did with his people in, in Exodus 20. Um, through to chapter 24 in Exodus, if you're interested to read that as well. God made promises to his people, called them to obey him and sealed his covenant uh, with offerings and sacrifices from the people. And the people agreed to the covenant. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. God has graciously joined himself in a formal covenant relationship with his people. And Moses makes the, the almost, almost offhanded but interesting and important theological claim that this wasn't just with the people standing around the mountain back then. Because this, uh, this is 40 years later, remember? Remember that that generation, they have all passed away now. Moses is saying that that covenant is with all Israel. It is with God's people. And it includes those who are standing before him now, just about to enter the promised land. God's promises are for them as well, and they too are called to obey. And how will they know uh, what to do? Well, in his grace, God spoke to them uh, to tell them. They heard God from the mountain. Verse 4, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of fire. Alon told us about this when we were previously in Deuteronomy Uh, The Lord revealed himself to his people, not in something that they could see, but by speaking to them, revealing himself to them, making it clear who it is that they worship, um, and reminding them not to corrupt what what he has revealed to them. And what a privilege that he revealed himself to his people, and he has spoken to them the words of his covenant, words words which show, uh, show them what it looks like to live in relationship with him. And even then, God's words begin with what he has done. Uh, We see in verse 6, 
I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it's so important, isn't it, that we need to start here. Um, Otherwise, we will completely misunderstand what these Ten Commandments are. And it's probably uh, a a frequent understanding in the culture today of what these commandments are, isn't it? It's so common um, to think of these as sort of a checklist to start with, to try and complete in order to earn your way to salvation or or in order to just make sure that uh, you'll be okay, um, uh, whatever happens, perhaps after you die. If you you can measure up to these commandments, then, then you're fine. But no, even in their very description and in the broader context of their place in Deuteronomy, notice that we've, we've already had several chapters describing the salvation that God's people have already received. Uh, and here they begin with what God has already done. He is the Lord. That's his covenant name. And that would have immediately reminded the Israelites that he is the faithful, promise-keeping God, the enemy-defeating God who defeated the might of Pharaoh in Egypt. He is the rescuing God who heard their cries for mercy and acted to save them. And he is their God. Notice how often it repeats throughout this whole chapter the, uh, the words, your God, I will be your God. He has bound himself to his people in a covenant. He is their God and they are his people. He has already saved them to be his people. He brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and that means that these commandments are not the way to become his people. Keeping these commands is not a way to earn the privilege of belonging to God. They are already his people. They already belong to him. These commands are about what it looks like to live as his people, to live in loving relationship with God that flows out in in loving relationship to others. For yourself, perhaps you might have grown up in a family that um, had family rules or family values uh, clearly displayed or communicated perhaps um, on a wall in your house. Uh, Or perhaps if you have a family now, you have thought through what your family values might be. Uh, Things like uh, kindness to each other or loving God. These describe what it looks like to live as your family. But keeping the rules isn't the way to earn a position in the family. What, what if I rocked up to your house one day and said, I've kept these rules, you have to make me part of the family now. I'll have the big bedroom, thank you very much. Or failing to keep these rules doesn't put you out of the family. You wouldn't say, uh, sorry kids, you didn't keep rule three, out. No, this is what it looks like to live as part of your family. And that's what these commands are. It's not how to get into relationship with God. It's not how to stay in relationship with God. It's how to live as people who are in relationship with God, who are already graciously rescued by God to live as his people. These are the family rules for relating to their God and relating to each other uh, in the family. These Ten Commandments, uh, which are the heart of God's covenant with his people, uh, can basically be broken into two halves. You've probably heard this before. The first four, uh, talking about what it looks like to love God, or the, or the vertical aspect. The last six, talking about what it looks like to love others as, as a result, or the horizontal aspect. These commands form the edges of, of our road. 
the ways to live in relationship with God. They give us an outline of the good life in loving relationship with our living God. There is, there is so much to explore um, in this chapter. Each one could be its own sermon, but we're going to, to skim through them pretty quickly and we'll see as we continue through Deuteronomy that we don't just leave these Ten Commandments behind and move on uh, to other things, but um, really the rest of, much of the rest of the book is an unpacking of these commandments. And so it starts with being faithful uh, to the Lord, verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, The words before me are literally in front of my face. This isn't about priority. Worship worship me first, but you can have other gods after me. No, it's about exclusivity. God alone is their God. They are to have no others. This makes sense. They are, are in a covenant relationship with God. They belong to him. They have promised themselves to him. He is faithful to them. They are to be faithful to him. This is uh, rule number one for what it looks like to live in relationship with him. If these commandments are like family rules, then uh, it's like the husband and wife asking each other to be faithful and not commit adultery. God is calling his people to have him alone as their God, not to run off after other gods. And it also matters how they worship him. That's the second commandment in verse 8. They're not to make themselves any idols, uh, not, as, uh, not as a way to worship other gods and not as a way to worship the Lord. Remember, he is a God who speaks, not a God that we can represent through anything that he has created. This is grounded in his character. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for his relationship with his people jealous for his reputation um, before others. And this is right and good. There would be something wrong if a husband didn't care enough about his wife to be jealous if she pursued adulterous relationships. Because he is a jealous God who cares deeply for his people uh, and his reputation, he punishes those who do wrong. Even, he says, to the third and fourth generation... And this is not God punishing the innocent for the sins of their parents. This is the consequences of sin being passed down from one generation to the next. And of course, we see this uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Eventually, all the nations spending 70 years in exile for breaking God's commands. But God is faithful, even more so. Even here, we see that promise in verse 10. He, shows, uh, he says he shows his steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commands. His love and faithfulness uh, far outweighs his just punishment of sin. Living in loving relationship with God also means treating his name with respect. That's the third command, not to take his name in vain. They aren't to use his name to make promises they won't keep or talk disrespectfully about the God who has saved them or claim to be his people and act in such a way that calls his name into disrepute. They are to treat his name with respect. And they are to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a day to rest. Them and their whole households, their slaves, their children, refugees, even their animals. It's a day to set aside for them to remember how God rescued them from slavery to Egypt from slavery in Egypt. There, under their cruel Egyptian masters, they had to work full-time, seven days a week. But as the Lord's people, they have a whole day to rest and to remember how God has rescued them from their slavery. 
This is what it looks like to live in relationship uh, with the living God. These commands reflect who he is. They are born out of, uh, out of the truth of who he is and out of his nature. He is a faithful God, so they are to be faithful to him. He is a jealous God, so they are not to make idols. He is a God who is worthy of praise, so they are to treat his name with respect. He is a God who has rescued them from slavery, so they are to rest one whole day a week to remember and enjoy his rescue. But it doesn't stop here. This isn't just about how they treat God. This relationship should flow out in how they treat each other. Uh, They are also to be living to love others. We see this in, in verses 16 to 21. So the rest of the commands are about how living as God's people should change the way they relate to each other. Again, these commands reflect God's character, his goodness and faithfulness to his people as the generous, life-giving God should mean they are loving, generous and faithful to each other. First, it will shape the way they treat their parents in verse 16. Honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is really the the first context of relationship that we have. Whether we're kids or adults, we're to treat our parents with honour and care. We're to be generous and faithful and treat them with respect in a way that honours God's good character. This is also key to God's commands being passed down from generation to generation. Kids are to honour their parents uh, and listen to them as they pass down the story of all that God has done for his people and how they should live for him. And this is for their good, so that it will go well with them and that they may have a long life. But it's wider than this. Doesn't just, it's not just confined to um, the nuclear family. Look at all the different ways they are to love others. Verse 17, you shall not murder. God is the one who gives life. Human beings are made in his image. He has the prerogative uh, to take life, but we don't. Let alone for our own selfish or hateful reasons. Loving others means not taking their life. And you shall not commit adultery there in verse 18. God is faithful to his promises always. Adultery is disregarding our promises to take something for ourselves which is not rightfully ours. It is using others for our own, uh, our own sinful pleasure and disregarding how our actions hurt those we have promised faithfulness to. We are to be faithful as our God is. And you shall not steal. God is the one who gives generously. He provides for his people. To steal is to take something that belongs to another because we want it for ourselves. We are taking matters into our own hands and taking what we want instead of trusting God to provide what we need. Instead, we can trust our faithful God to provide what we need. In verse 20, And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. God is always true to his word. He does not say things that are false to gain advantage for himself. And he is always perfectly just. There is no evil in him. So his people should reflect that by not using false words to bear false witness and pervert justice. We should speak what is true. These commands are about more than, uh, about more than just not doing these things. They are like the guide rails that show the edges of the path, but they are meant to reveal our hearts in a way that is much more profound. 
And perhaps this is reminding you of when we've gone through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew earlier this year. We saw how Jesus exposes the heart behind these commands. If you harbour anger at your brother, you are guilty of breaking the command not to murder because you have failed to love him. If you lust after someone who's not your spouse, you are guilty of adultery because you have not been faithful in your heart. Uh, Loving others is meant to be not just our outward actions or the absence of certain outward actions, but about our hearts. And the 10th commandment really uh, gets to the heart of this. It makes this explicit. In verse 21, You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbour's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. We are not to covet and long for something that belongs to another, desiring something that God hasn't given you. Our God is generous, he's loving, but coveting is only seeking for ourselves. Um, It is selfishness. This isn't fitting for God's people who should be able to rejoice in the success that God has given his brother without envy and instead be able to rest content in what God has given These Ten Commands here, beginning with what God has already done for His people, form the heart of what God has commanded His people, the heart of His covenant with them. And as we work through the rest of Deuteronomy and we see Moses unpack for God's people all sorts of, uh, at least on the surface, weird and wonderful laws, we're going to see that he's actually just unpacking the implications of these Ten Commandments. He's showing them what it looks like to live out these ten in the land. They form the heart of his covenant with them. But these commands mean nothing unless they actually hear them and do them. They must respond. And that's where Moses goes next. Living in relationship with God uh, means living in fear and and obedience. Moses reminds them uh, what happened when they heard these words from the mountain there in verses 22 to 33. The people were amazed freaked out, terrified even. They have heard from the living God, the God of all creation, there in verse 24 uh, and verse 25. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. Dealing with God is a dangerous business. He is perfectly holy and righteous, and we aren't. He is the mighty and powerful creator, and we are dependent creatures. The Israelites recognize that dealing with God is a risky business. It's dangerous. If they hear God any more, they will die. They need a go-between, a mediator who can go between them and God, who can hear what God says and pass it on, and who can speak to God for the people. And they ask Moses to do this job. And God affirms what they've said. He says that they are right in all that they've spoken. And in fact, he longs that they would always see things so clearly. There in verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This is the right response of God's people to their gracious, powerful God. 
This is what it looks like to live in relationship with him. And it begins uh, with fearing him. This isn't the kind um, of terrified, sinful fear that would cause us to flee from God, to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. This is the trembling, awe-filled wonder, respect and joy in the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who has rescued his people. This is the kind of fear that causes us to draw near in worship, to bow down in praise, to rejoice in him and to obey him. If we are truly filled with that right fear of God, we will do what he says. We'll listen to him and take him seriously. We'll listen to his warnings and hear his commands and we will want to obey because he is our gracious Lord God. And this is for our good. God doesn't give us these uh, commands because uh, he's a miser trying to spoil our fun. He's not trying uh, to test us to see if we'll do something difficult and arbitrary so he can reward us. He commands these things that it may go well for his people, that they might have life. If you're a parent, it's, it's like the, the, the uh, never-ending struggle of getting your kids to eat veggies. It's not some test to see if they'll do something unpleasant uh, then followed with a reward. It's not uh, because you hate them and it's some kind of power trip. It's because you want something for their good. And so Moses is calling God's people on the edge of the land to the same response. Uh, living as God's people means fearing him, hearing and doing what he says for our good. And so what about for us? How do we come to this passage this morning? How should we... Uh, what should our response be? We aren't under this old covenant with, that Israel made at the mountain. Uh, so what do these commands have to do with us? It's worth reflecting, I think, a little more on the reactions of Israel after their encounter with God. It reveals something about the tension of hearing um, these words, encountering the living God. From verse 24 and 25 again. This is the, the Israelites' response. Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. These verses capture for us two things that we can take away from this passage this morning, two ways to frame it, two ways to think about it as we think about our relationship to the law. Uh, and it brings us back to, to some questions that I'm sure you've heard asked in Bible studies and community groups what does the law reveal to us about God and what does the law reveal to us about ourselves? So what does the law reveal to us about God? It's there in verse 24. Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. We worship the same God. We should come away from this passage uh, convinced of the glory and greatness of God uh, and praying with the psalmist from Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Uh, our God deserves reverence and awe. He is holy and righteous, faithful to his promises. He is jealous for his people and his reputation. He takes the initiative to save his people out of his great grace and faithfulness, even though we don't deserve it. And his law is worth listening to and living by. It is truly something for our good. But what about the second question? What does the law reveal to us about ourselves? Well, we can see how the Israelites might have responded to this question uh, from verse 25. 
If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. Do you see the dilemma that they had? How amazing, how honourable it is to hear from the living God, but please, no more. The law had revealed to themselves something so deep and devastating that they knew that they could not stand before a holy God on their own merit and live. They knew that they would fall short of keeping up their end of the covenant. They knew at that moment that they would need a mediator, someone to speak to God and appeal to him, represent them on their behalf. So too for us, these verses show us that we can never keep these commands on our own. We too wouldn't be able to keep up our end of the bargain. We always fall short. We wander off the road. We sin against God and deserve his just judgment. Many years later, there came another man teaching and interpreting the law, one who they said had the authority to teach as one from God. He urged the Israelites at the time to realise again that the law was not just a simple checklist to earn righteousness. He said things like, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Or, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He is Jesus, the God-man, a better Moses, sent not just to teach us the law, uh, but to fulfil it, to embody it, to show us that true and eternal life is only found through him, only found through the one that can save us um, from the judgment required by the law. He came not just to relay the law to us, uh, but to live it out perfectly, loving God and loving others perfectly. But instead of experiencing all the blessings promised to those who keep the law, he instead died the death of one taking on the curse of our rebellion from the law, our sin, to take the judgment we deserve for our sin. He took our penalty and he rose again to new life so that everyone who trusts in him has eternal life, has forgiveness, new life, uh, is saved from their sin, saved like Israel to be God's people. And now he lives as the one mediator between God and man, interceding for us as the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sin. And as God's people saved in Jesus, we encounter these commandments as one who loves to know how to follow the one who has saved them. These commands show us what it looks like to live in relationship with the same God who delivered his law at Horeb. Living in relationship with God means loving God and loving others, and these commands show us how. So we need to listen up, to hear, to fear our God who has graciously saved us in Jesus. And to obey all that he has commanded us. We are to be faithful to worship God alone because he is faithful to us he has rescued us to treat God's name with respect and honor his name in the way that we act to honor our parents to not murder but cherish life not steal or covet but be content and thankful because we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing we have received immeasurable riches in Christ 
And we also haven't been left to our own devices to do this. In Jesus, God is working in us through his spirit to write his law on our hearts, to change us to be more like Jesus and help us to love him and love others. This is the path that God has set before us. So let's hear God's words, let's fear him and let's obey him. We can do this because we are forgiven in Jesus and he is working in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. How amazing and how honourable, how, uh, what a privilege it is that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that you have given us uh, your commands, you have showed us uh, what it looks like to live as your people. We give you thanks uh, for the Holy Spirit that you have sent um, to all your people. We pray um, that we would follow your Spirit, that we would be attentive to its promptings as we seek uh, to live as your people, to know what it looks like to live as your people. We thank you uh, that your faithfulness, your salvation, your rescuing is such, uh, such a gift that we are secure in your kingdom, in your family. And so we have the freedom now to, to follow your law as your people, to, uh, to love you and to love others. We pray uh, that you'd help us to do this, do this and bless us uh, this week as we seek to live in response. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.